Hello everyone and welcome to the Business of PT podcast. I'll be your host, JT Moore. In this podcast, we will be interviewing successful physical therapists and learning about their stories in the field of PT. We will discuss a variety of topics such as entrepreneurship, careers, and pathways in physical therapy, as well as important characteristics in becoming a great PT. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you liked it, make sure to subscribe to get updates when new podcasts are released. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having Brian Gallagher with us. Brian has been a physical therapist for over 28 years and has been in private practice for over 17. Most notably, after more than 10 years of consulting practice owners all over the U.S., Brian launched one of the first physical therapy virtual training programs with live coaching focused on the staff, management team, and owners. Brian, thanks for coming on. Oh, JT, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, we kind of talked about this right before we got started on uh, on the recording. But yeah, you're one of my first podcasts that I really got interested in and business on the business side of physical therapy. And so it's honestly super cool to have you on and be able to talk to you. I'm excited to, to learn a bit, a little bit more about your story and just kind of all the knowledge and, and experience that you've had in the field of PT, especially the private practice section. Absolutely. I'm happy to share it. You know, I, I always say to myself, anything I can do to impart um, some experience onto others so I can help them avoid all the mistakes I made all the better. There we go. So yeah, would you be able to introduce yourself to the audience and give a little background of yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Brian Gallagher. I'm a physical therapist. I graduated in 1992 and I um, really got out of school with the idea of I wanted to be the best manual therapist I could be. So I took a job with two owners who had been out for 20 some years and they took a liking to me and they said, you know, we're going to send you to every con ed course you want to go on. In exchange, you got to come back and train all our staff. So I said, all right, I'll do that. And I was out of the clinic in my first three years for 33 con ed courses in my first three years. So I was gone all the time, but I had to come back and train all their staff. So I really, at a very young age in the profession, I got used to this idea of I love teaching people. I love seeing the light bulb go off and their eyes light up. And and then all of a sudden they're doing something totally different in their career. And it was because of something they learned from me or something I imparted on them. So I got the bug very early on on being an educator. And uh, because that's what I predominantly consider myself today. So, you know, after five years of that, uh, you know, told my wife, we need to start our own practice. We we need to do this. And I, I was going at it very slow. I said, let's start in the third bedroom of our house and let's just farm me out and I'll sign some home health contracts. And I'll start doing some of that. And that grew. And then it took over our basement. And then I finally opened my first clinic and then second office. And right around there, I had a, a change because everything was crashing down. And I made the mistake that so many young PTs make. You think because you're a good physical therapist, you get good results that you're going to be a good private practice owner. And those are completely apples and oranges. They are totally two different things. And that's what I ran into trouble with. I really ran into trouble with that. Um, So I ended up spending a ton of money, like over $100,000 on my education on how to become uh, a a good private practice owner. I I rewrote, reformulated everything, put it in, uh, ran my practice up to six clinics, six nursing home contracts, sold the whole thing bought it back two years later, ran it back up to practice of the year in 2011, sold it again in 2018. And at that point, you know, I remembered, you know, very early on when I was all stressed out and things were terrible in 2003. 
And I put my head in my hands. I said, man, I would pay anybody anything if they could come in here and show me how to do this. I mean, somebody's winning, right? Somebody's doing good in this physical therapy profession, private practice. So I'm proud to say that I've devoted my whole career's experience and attention to building Meg to do exactly that. And that's exactly what I, I feel we are now. We have a huge community. Uh, we have hundreds of owners in our community. Um, we train hundreds, I've trained thousands. I've been in over 500 offices across the country. Um, and now it's all virtual based. So people just have access to it 24 seven. So I'm very proud of what we built. And uh, I think it's very uh, useful for startup owners to my clients who have, you know, one of them I was talking to has over 400 offices. So wow, everything yeah. in between. Yeah, that's awesome. And honestly, I mean, even like myself, I've gained a lot of knowledge and just understanding, okay, I want to open up my own practice one day. And like the knowledge that you're able to share on your podcast, I've really enjoyed and, and been able to try to absorb as much of that as possible. And I kind of wanted to know, so did you always envision yourself getting into PT or how did that kind of come about? And like, what, where did, where did that transition from become like wanting to become a PT? And you kind of said you went transitioned to the business side, but how did you get introduced to PT to begin with? Got interested in physical therapy to begin with um, uh, while playing competitive soccer. And uh, some of our key players got hurt and were on crutches and had different rehab protocols and they were all in therapy. And I said, man, you know, I, I know my button, my purpose in life is to help others. You know, I, I really am at my best and at my brightest and feel my best when I know I'm helping others. And I knew that at a young age of 15, 16. So it really started with my, my time in soccer. And, and at that time I said, you know, I, I'm going to go to med school, right? I'm going to go take biology major and then transition into pre-med and do that. And my first year in there, I realized, um, oh my gosh, if I become a doctor, I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing three things because doctors only do three things. They're going to cut you open. They're going to send you for a test or they're going to um, uh, give you meds. And I'm like, I don't want to spend my life doing any of those three things. And so that's when I got into physical therapy. And I said, you know, this is, I, I had a taste of it in high school. And then I fell in love with it in college. And, and I never looked back. It's the, absolutely, I always say this, I, I, I'm on record saying this a thousand times. It's the number two best profession in the world because the number one best profession in the world is a professional baseball player. I mean, you don't have to hit other people. You don't have to run really hard. I mean, you're not lifting heavy things. You don't play if it's not sunny. I mean, there's just no better job on this planet than <laughs> being a professional baseball player. That is a pretty nice one. Yeah, that is true. And thank you for sharing that story of, of how you got introduced to, to PT and everything. And I wanted to know a little bit, you'd mentioned earlier about Meg Academy. Um, could you describe a little bit, kind of already shared a little bit about that with us, but the purpose of it, and then some of the things for a potential listener, if they're interested in opening up their own practice, what are all the things that you offer in Meg Academy? So Meg Academy really is a differentiator from what most people consider consulting. Um, I think I was a consultant for about two years back in 2005, 2006. And I, I pulled my assistant aside and I said, hey, let's run, a, let's run a report now that it's been about two years. What's the percentage of practice owners that are truly living their ideal scene, that are truly living their dream as a result of receiving the consulting services with us? And the data came back that it was about 37%, about a third. And so I was really disheartened with that. I mean, I put my all into teaching them. I give them a binder. I fly into Houston, Chicago, wherever hotel 
spend three days, I do my consulting, I, I give them all the materials and then I leave, right? And so I was complaining, I guess you could say to my wife at dinner one night. And I still remember to this day, she's eating her salad and I'm saying to her how disappointed I am that one third of the people I've been working with are doing well and the other two thirds just went back to doing what they were doing. And so she said to me, well, what would you do different? And this is where Meg got birthed. This is how it started. I said, well, my wife's name is Lisa. I said, well, Lisa, I would do, I wouldn't do consulting anymore. That's for sure. I said, I would do coaching and I, and I would go after it just like I do as a physical therapist. And she's like, well, how so? I said, well, you wouldn't touch a patient you didn't do an evaluation on. So you can find all the strengths and weaknesses, problems. And then you write a plan of care. And then you work with the agreement of that patient to work side by side with you on the goals and objectives listed in the plan of care. And the better communicator you are, the better investment you have in that patient and in that episode of care, the better the outcomes. Because the patient's going to feel that love. They're going to feel that commitment. They're not going to feel like a consultant where, hey, I, I, I help you for this weekend. I'm on to the next city. Whether you succeed or fail, I'm into the next city. I'm on to the next group of people, right? And so people who have had consulting services know what I'm talking about. It's like, you're the you're the Mr. Right and Mrs. Right for right now, but you're, you're not that the next week, right? When they're gone. So coaching, you stay connected, you know, just like a PT, you stay connected through the whole plan of care. And that's what my wife says, eating across the table. She goes, you should do that. I said, oh my God, just like that. She goes, yeah, just like that. One client at a time, take them all the way through the process. And so for the next 10 years, I flew 150 days a year for the next 10 years in and out of offices nationwide from Alaska to Florida. And uh, that's what I did. And I mean, I walked into some hurricanes, man. I walked into some offices that it was mass. Things were blowing up and they got me in there late. And oh, but those experiences were just, priceless because now I have such a reality for turning things around. It's really helped me develop Meg Academy to say, no matter where you are, startup, new grad, you know, six years out, whatever, I know what stage of the game you're in and where we need to pick up. Yeah. That's, I feel like that experience is just something that's so unmatched. So you can learn those things theoretically and have that on, but to be able to walk in and and have that experience of, like you said, going into like those hurricanes must be so invaluable that someone would, that would help out so much to be able to help them get in the right direction because you've experienced and you've witnessed those things with other people before. Very astute. I'm glad to hear you say that because I would never, you know, it was 10 years of my life flying all over, staying in holiday inns all the time, but I would never ask for that to go away. I would never ask for a reset on that. You're right. The, the ability to be there and, and work with these clients. I mean, I would start with them and then I would have them completely handled within four to six months. And that journey and those experiences and those twists and turns and, you know, things I never would have expected happen that happened, you know, just so uh, rewarding now and, and giving me such a grounded foundation. Personnel management skills I have found are the secret sauce to anybody's success, whether you're an employee or an employer, your soft personnel management skills, there's no replacing that. You really have to master that. Okay. And that actually, that kind of leads into a question that I wanted to ask and we can kind of take it as it goes, but I don't know if this is the answer that you already gave us. What are some of the most important lessons you've learned in owning your own practice and helping people succeed in their own practice? Is it that skill or are there other skills that come to mind as well? Well, you know, JT, if I ask you, what's the point of communication, right? You and I are communicating now. Well, 
you're asking me a question and I'm to reciprocate with an answer, but I have to do it in a manner that brings about full understanding in your mind. And it has to be hopefully something that you're in agreement with, right? Somebody who's in conversation with you who keeps throwing in pieces of disagreement is not somebody who you stick around with very long, right? So I would have to say one of the lessons I learned that are probably the the biggest pearl to, to my success, and I think so many others that I've helped, is teaching them the art of communication, breaking it down into its elements of building rapport, you know, gaining agreement, um, being in their reality, you know, saying things that are real to them, that, don't, that are not so far-fetched they can't wrap their wits around, because everyone tries to assimilate what you're saying. So I would have to say, for sure, the elements of communication with the intention of bringing about number one, understanding, and number two, the ultimate goal of communication is agreement. Um, I learned early on that the human being retains about seven to 9% of what you say. They are uh, best communicated with on a 16 to 20% level of how you say it. That's what means most of them. And the rest is body language. I mean, it's really true. Like as we're talking now and I'm seeing you and you're seeing me, you're shaking your head, you're acknowledging your, your, my expressions are, are to what I'm saying. So we're grasping that, you know, it's making sense, you know? So, so I think that was it. And then three other things I would share here for your listeners. I mean, I know a lot of your listeners are in school or, or fresh out of school, but you know what guys, guys, counts. look for the most important thing in others, which is transparency. We live in a world today where it's not always that easy. But honestly, transparency breeds trust. When someone's going to be honest with you and they're not trying to sell you something, they're not trying to put lipstick on it and make it look prettier than it is, they're, they're really interested in seeing you win. You can pick up on that. You can pick up on that. So I tell everybody, be transparent, be committed to your values, and most of all, don't wear other people's conditions. So I hope that's answered your question. Wearing other people's conditions will always take you down. Gotcha. Yeah, no, thank you for that. I think, yeah, I think communication is something that's so vital that we have a, as, a, as a profession, like we have to be great communicators to be able to help people out. If we don't even, if we can't communicate with our patients, let alone we're able to communicate like owning a company and running a company in that sense in a practice, that makes a lot of sense. No, thank you for, for sharing those things. Um, and I kind of wanted to follow that up with another question of with that, what are some of the so once someone decides to open up a practice, what are some of the common hurdles or obstacles that you have found with, with physical therapists? They've decided, hey, I want to go out. I want to open up my own private practice. What are some of those big barriers of entry? All right. That's a great question. That's really good. Let me, let me go out on a limb with you on this. So let's take how many more years do you have in PT school? I'm actually, this is my last clinical rotation that I'm on right now. So I'll be graduating in December. In December, that's great. It's around the corner. Uh-huh. Congratulations. Thank so you. you graduate in December. And let's say you go out and you get that dream position, right? And you work it for two or three years and you're doing really well. Okay. Let's say in three years' time, you're making in the mid-80s. It's about right, right? You're making the mid-80s, you got great 401k, they're contributing. And now you come home to your parents or brother or sister or family or friends, and you say, you know what? I'm thinking about quitting my job. I'm going to start my own practice. Let me ask you seriously, what do you think the reaction is going to be from your friends and family closest to you? Um, I think some of them that know me well that I've, or go ahead. It could be anything, whatever it really is, it is. 
I think some of them that like, have known me well that I've talked to, they'd be like, okay, like, obviously they'll, they'll ask, like, do you feel ready? Do you feel prepared? Um, but I've talked about it enough that I think that they know it's on the radar. It's just a matter of like me feeling prepared enough to go out on my own. So I think that'd be like, do you feel ready? Do you feel prepared? Kind of a thing, like a question in that sense. Okay, great. So you have the DNA of 10% of the global population. 10% of the global population would never feel settled or feel rewarded or feel like they're um, doing what's best for themselves or being true to their own self-purpose without going into business, without starting their own thing, right? And that was me from the beginning. Like there was no way I was going to go take a a manufacturing job or I'm going to go take some salary position and be like, wow. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the 90% of the globe's working for someone else, right? But I never saw myself and you never saw yourself and you've been talking about it. You're doing this podcast. You're very entrepreneurial already. So you have that support system around you. That's going to be like, yeah, if, if you dotted your eyes, cross your T's, go do it. Right. But do you know, nine out of 10 people, that is not the reaction they're going to get. Their parents are going to say like what my parents said to me, are you crazy? Why would you give up that salary and that guaranteed benefit package and the time off that they're paying you. And why, why would you put yourself through all that? You know, because to the degree that we leave our job and we leave those behind that don't do it and we are wildly successful in doing it, it's a little bit of a make wrong for those who settle. Now, some people aren't settling at all. That's all they want is a good, secure job paying. They go, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but there is a fraction of those people that would love to do what you're going to do, would love to do what I've done, but they don't have the, the gumption to do it for whatever reason. So most people, I would say that's one of the biggest obstacles to going is listening to the wrong people. Your friends and family, you can love them, but they're your personal life. They're the personal circle. They don't have any experience in, in physical therapy, private practice. Talk to somebody who's done it. Talk to people who've been doing it, are doing it, have, have bought them, sold them. Whatever. Those are the people that are going to give you a perspective that's going to be of value to you. You know, Listening to your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your you know, uncle or aunt or grandparent isn't it they love you don't get me wrong but it and the second big obstacle to being successful and starting your own practice i have to say is one's attitude toward money one's attitude toward money because we have been taught to put emotional emotion connected to money we have so much emotion connected to that green paper with dead presidents on it it's ridiculous it is crazy and i'm telling you you know, you want to make more green paper, go make more green paper. Don't be so hung up. You know, some people go into business and they, I'm just going to do mobile PT. I don't want to take on too much risk. And I'm like, if you're not going to do what you're passionate about doing, then don't do it at all. Like you could literally open up your private practice for 35 to hundred thousand dollars a year, less than what people spend on a car. You can open up your private practice and be wildly successful, but people get so connected to money. You have to be willing to spend money, waste money, blow money on investing on yourself and those around you. Otherwise, you'll never get to where you want to go. Um, And then lastly, lack of planning and execution. Way too many people hop in and then they try to figure it out. That's not how you became a PT. You spent five or six years in PT school before you ever treated your first patient, right? So uh, I would recommend that everybody do the same for ownership. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You can't, like, thinking about that, like, that makes, as far as opening up your own practice, you can't just hope to, like, figure that out on the fly. That's something that's so important, so valuable that why would you risk something that you're so passionate about 
without a plan without that that direction in mind so that makes a lot of sense with that so thank you for sharing those being being willing to go into debt you know so many of us were taught by our parents don't spend more than you make live within your means we'll tell you what that isn't what a business owner does a business owner uses other people's money leverages it for financial gain and right now money's cheap so it's a great time to open your practice so um but yeah trying to do it run your household don't spend more than you make live within a budget Run your business by leveraging money to get ahead and expand and grow. And because people rely on your financial fortitude, people, I mean, people are paying their car payments and their rent and their mortgage, their groceries. So be wise about how you're going to invest in yourself and in your practice. Yeah. No, thank you for, for that and sharing that. I guess another thing I wanted to ask too are what are some of the, so those are the barriers to entry. What are some of the important things that when someone reaches out to you and they're like, Hey, I want to open up my own practice. What are some of those important action steps you'd say um, if they want to open up their desired private practice, what are some of those things that you say, Hey, these are some really important points. If you haven't already addressed them that you should have prior to even like getting the ball rolling. All right. So the first two things I usually tell people, cause that's another great question. Um, is don't go into business or private practice with a do-it-yourselfer attitude. If I could go back in time and ditch one of my horrible attributing characteristics was because I could do so many things. You know, I understood how to hang drywall and paint and run cable and lines and do electrical and outlets. I mean, I did so much of my own stuff in my own clinics. It was detrimental to myself. It slowed my success. If I could go back and talk to my younger self, it would be, don't be such a do-it-yourself or be a do-it-yourself at home, but not in business. Outsource, outsource, outsource to experts, outsource to expert billing, outsource to your accounting, outsource to your legal, you know, outsource your credentialing, you know, um, get, give yourself a coach. See, see a coach, unlike a consultant, a coach is, is hardwired to push you, JT, to get you to color outside the lines because I don't want you to color your drawing and, 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 and do your drawing like everybody else because everybody's drawing is going to be the same. I need you to be you. I need you to do what you can do. I need you to be the best golfer you can be. And if I don't push you to go outside your comfort zone, you'll never know what you're capable of. And that's kind of how I see myself and Nicole and our whole team. So I tell people, don't have that do it yourself or attitude. Be willing to invest in yourself. And lastly, be disciplined with your time. Have a daily schedule, have a weekly schedule and stick to it. You know, there were two times I worked 24 hours at my clinic. My wife had to bring me a change of clothes in the morning because I was going to embarrass her by treating the next day wearing the same clothes. I never came home. I never went to bed. I worked 24 seven in the clinic. And she's like, you've got to stop doing this. That's when I knew I had a problem. And it wasn't a problem of my work ethic. It was a problem of my lack of business acuity, business knowledge. And that's what I would say to your listeners. Get that. You're going to need that before you you run the practice. Get trained first. Yeah. I think I remember on one of your, like, probably has been a couple of them, if I'm I'm remembering correctly, that you talked about, like, you were putting the drywall and installing, like, the internet in your guys' clinic. Is that right? (laughs) I was. I was. Yeah. No, I remember that. And I've definitely pulled away from that. Like, you don't have to be the best at everything, but if you, like... Like, yes, we have that drive. I think that's such an important thing with an entrepreneur, but to know how to delegate and to trust like those people with that transparency that's been opened and to like say, Hey, this person's really good at that. I'm not the best at it. Let me let them, 
use their talents in a way while I can focus my talents on something else. I think that's such a valuable skill that I have a hard time doing myself. I can definitely see that. You know, it's important in other industries that you spot that as well. You know, I'm currently studying to be a private pilot and I'm wanting to get my pilot license and all the pilots I meet, every, they don't work on their own planes. Not that they couldn't. Some of these guys come back from, you know, mechanical backgrounds. No, they focus on being a pilot. They, they just everything about piloting, let the mechanic handle the plane, you know, let the other people handle the other logistics. They just know enough to stay in their lane. And that's my advice to practice owners. Really get your expertise on, get hatted as the CEO of your business, you know, go to work being like, yeah, I'm a practice owner who happens to be a PT. Don't go to work being like, yeah, I'm a PT who happens to be a business owner. Big mistake. Yeah, it's definitely a, a mind shift that you need, a mindset shift that you need to have in order to be able to do those I things correctly so. and efficiently. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, so I, after that, so once we have those action steps, I guess another thing too that I've always thought about is, let's say you have a desired patient population, a desired group of people that you really love working with. What are some of the things that you talk about that, okay, okay these are some of the steps or these are some of the things to have in mind when you're wanting to create that patient population, that desired patient population? Yeah, very good. You know, when I first got out of school, I thought I wanted to work with professional athletes, right? So I got a job working and I treated a whole bunch of professional soccer players. And then I treated the uh, semi-pro football team in Baltimore when the Colts had left and I, it was called the uh, Baltimore Bears. And, and I did it. And I realized that wasn't what I wanted to do, but it took me getting into it to find out I needed to get out of it. And then I realized, you know, something's wrong with that. Poor planning, right? You can't just go through private practice jumping in. So you're asking for action steps. So let me give your audience some actual concrete steps, some actual concrete. So the very first thing you should do is design or create or write what's called a pro forma, a pro forma. A pro forma is going to basically spell out your first three months your first six months, 12 months, 18 months, because by 18 months, you're well on your way. Our clients, our startups, we knock on wood, we've never had a startup fail going all the way back to 2006. So no matter when they get with us, if they join and we take care, they're going to be successful because we have a pro forma, which really tells us what your income and expenses and what your budget and how things should run on a three, six, 12 month basis. Um, the second tool you should have, Performa is a spreadsheet, by the way. The second one that should be populated is what's called a Gantt chart, G-A-N-N-T, or G-A-N-T-T, a Gantt chart. A Gantt chart is used in every industry but healthcare pretty much, but we've brought it into physical therapy, and it's a 21-step sequential step process for going from, hey, I want to open up a private practice to, hey, I'm in private practice treating patients. And you need from that moment of decision where you want to open up a practice to when you start treating people, you need six to eight months to, to get to the finish line. Don't think you're going to open up a practice and in 90 days that's happening. It's going to be six to eight months. And there's 21 steps that have to happen in order for that to happen. Sometimes 23 if you do a different kind of practice. So those are two really big tips um, I would really share with your audience, you have to know your income, you have to know your expenses. And I don't know if you know this, JT, but let's say you were saying, hey, I want to go open up a practice in, I don't know, um, Largo, Florida. Well, I would say to you, 
pull up the zip code, go online, pull up the Medicare calculator, put in the zip code and start creating four five or six of the most typical treatment sessions you'll do. And you're going to get exactly what your reimbursement's going to be for Medicare for those sessions. And now you're starting on building a performance. And that doesn't matter wherever you are in the country. That would be the very first step. Let's get a ballpark idea of what you're going to get paid by Medicare for treating in that area. And that's going to tell us something about what we're, our income is going to be. And then we can look at commercial carriers after that. That's, that's interesting. I never, I've never like even thought about the, like looking that up because yeah, you're right. If you were already like add the insurance model into your, into your practice, that's something that is important to know. And yeah, yeah I never, I never thought about looking that up and, and trying to run the numbers and figure out, okay, roughly how much we're going to get reimbursed for our work. You have less control over the income for the services you deliver and you have more control over the expenses. So you need to know the income numbers first and then back in the expense numbers second. And the expense numbers are totally under your control for the most part. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like those things are definitely things that you decide while the other one, we don't really get a lot of a decision in that sense. That's correct. I mean, I wish I could tell Medicare, you know, inflation's gone up 4%. Are you increasing 4%? No, here we are post-pandemic year and they're looking to cut 3%. They're looking to cut PTAs 15%. I mean, this is madness. I mean, this makes no, this is, there's no logic to this at all. But I'm always telling my owners, there's no point in our complaining about it. How are we going to outcreate it? How are we going to outrun it? That's the attitude of our business. That's our, that's, that's I, I think a lot of people call us is because our attitude is just so positive. Like, no, there's ways of, we can outcreate this. We can make this go right. Yeah, no, because I actually, as you said that, I was like, yeah, wait, so wait, what do we do about that? Like, because that is something that's concerning, I guess. Like, we, we, we learned a little bit about it in PT school, about like the reimbursement rates are, are lowering and things. And it definitely, I guess for me, just an aspect, it does get me a little nervous of the future. I'm like, okay, where is our, our future, our, our profession going to go? But I know you talk about the, like the hybrid model of business and stuff, and that's like a, a preferred thing. And yeah, would you care to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you know, your, your, your thought process is echoed by millions of others. What is the future of my profession? If here we are post-pandemically after the worst year where the government shut us down and crushed every private business in America, and now they're going to take more money off our table for working hard to CRP. So what does that mean, Brian? Where do, well, that may mean, depending on where you are in the country, you do not want to be an in-network, all-insurance-based provider. I would not do that if I was in Eastern Pennsylvania, if I was in New Jersey, if I'm in Long Island or New York, forget it. There's no way you're going to be thriving at an average of $58 a visit, $71. You know, the national average is about $83 a visit. And you're $20, $30 under that in a very high cost of living part of the country. What? You've got to think outside the box. And that's where we came up with a hybrid model where people can literally go out of network, sign out of network contracts, get paid more for that work. Of course, you're only retaining about six out of 10 calls, seven out of 10 calls coming in. So not everyone's going to be willing to come in and pay out of network. Um, you can have uh, that's with a whole different LLC, a separate company that you open up, which is all in network, right? So you're the owner of two PT practices and adjoining suites, two different tax IDs, two different physical addresses, and you can be in network and out of network. Now, in some states, that could be a little problematic. So that's hardcore hybrid, but let's go, you know, light and easy hybrid. Well, what about if you went in network with the good paying insurances, you know, the ones that actually pay you for your services, not the ones that are 
taking advantage of you. You know, look, if you're not, if you're in an insurance company and they're only paying you 10 to $15 or less over your cost of providing that visit, you should not be engaging them. You should not be taking that contract. If you can take Blue Cross or Aetna or Cigna or whomever, United Healthcare, and it's above $15, $20 or more over cost, then by all means, be in network, be insurance-based. I love Medicare. I think everybody should be taking Medicare, um, but there's cash too. You can still be a cash provider. You can still provide services that are not covered services, especially by Medicare. It's got to be an uncovered service. And you're charging cash and you develop a whole nother cash. To, and people ask me all the time, Brian, what size of the, how should I break that up? Your goal should be 15 to 20% of your business in cash. The rest of it, all insurance-based. Now you're in a nice hybrid, one tax ID, one company name, one set of books and payroll. You're going to rock it if you can balance that off. But you got to know what cash services to get into. Some don't really pan out. Others really work well. That's interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I definitely get some mind open to like a lot of different avenues and a lot of different like questions. Um, okay. I was at yeah, PPS the- and I gave that lecture you know, that's hybrid model A and hybrid model B. Most people will take hybrid model B where I can be one provider, one tax ID, one company name, and I'm just going to push cash-based services that are legal and ethical to do that are not a conflict with my insurance. And I'm going to push into the good insurances and be a good provider for those that are going to pay us fairly. Yeah. And I guess I have a question because I don't understand it perfectly yet. So with the insurance having that B option, how does that like the con- like the interest or conflict of interest, I guess, with the cash base and like the person has insurance, how does that go about? Like, I don't understand that completely. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. So let's say somebody comes to you and they want to, um, oh, they want to have physical therapy, but you're in network with Blue Cross Blue Shield and they just want to pay cash for their therapy services. Well, they have to agree not to bill for those services and you not bill for those services because you're an in-network provider and they're going to just pay cash for those services. Um, Some people have them sign waivers and uh, advanced beneficiary notice, which is a document for Medicare. And some people will go about that. Other people will go about it that way saying, we're not billing for these services. You're coming in, getting these services. Even though this is a covered service under your insurance, you're opting out of your insurance plan to come see us and pay cash for our services. Um, you know, you got to clarify that and make sure that that's okay in your state with your insurance carrier, right? Um, what I like to do is recommend playing it safer, provide the cash-based services that are not covered by the insurance. Like um, if you're going to provide yoga services or Pilates services or massage services or personal fitness training services, those are by non-licensed therapists. Those are other allied health professionals. Now you're building your wing of cash-based services that are of no conflict with the insurance company. And I'm not saying that some insurance companies care or don't care at all if their, their people, their public want to just pay cash and they're not going to use their insurance. Hey, that's fine. Um, but when it comes to Medicare, it's different. A Medicare patient, and if I'm a Medicare provider, I cannot provide a Medicare covered service for a Medicare patient and have them pay cash. That is not okay. It's a Medicare covered service. I cannot provide it and have them pay cash. Now I can provide through other allied health professionals, other services to them that are not covered under Medicare and they can pay cash for those all they want. So we have to be very careful. And there was a big debate a couple of years back and PPS about this. And I attended that seminar and it was really unsettling because it was a big gray area. 
but I don't like to live in the gray area. So I say, if it's a Medicare covered service, do not provide it cash-based. If, if somebody comes to you with an insurance covering a service such as PT, you want to give it to them, they want to just pay cash, just make sure it's okay with that insurance company and that you have the proper documents signed and waived and nobody's billing for it and you should be fine. But you always have to look at your state. Yeah, no, thank you. That makes a lot of sense. I feel like those are things that like we just don't get really exposed to or talked about like a lot in PT school, obviously. But like that was really insightful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, it, it's it's a thin it's a fine needle right now. And people are trying to find how can I better service the people in my community without the burden of these insurance companies? And let's face it. Some of these insurance companies are asking people to pay $50 co-pays anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so what are we doing? I mean, $50 copay, and I'm going to charge you 60, $65 cash or 70, whatever it is. You know, it doesn't yeah. make sense. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense to me how you're explaining that. So thank you for that. Um, I also wanted to kind of elaborate and ask you a little bit. Um, another aspect of, of opening up your own private practice and in business, um, which I believe PTs um, don't do the best in, is marketing. I think that we as a as a as a profession have a great skill set and really can benefit the general public in a lot of different ways. But I think sometimes we lack our in our marketing side. And obviously, we don't learn those things. You said a little bit how like chiropractors they kind of come out and they have a really good like understanding of business and they have a, like. I think they do a better job of marketing themselves in that sense. How can we as PTs learn and better understand the importance of marketing and better improve that side of it? Well, I think there's, you know, I like to refer to things called data points, right? Data points. There's some very firm data points at any given moment in time, somebody's selling and somebody's buying, right? So I'm telling you and sharing with you life experiences and educational knowledge that I've accrued over the 28 years I've been doing this. So I'm selling and you're buying concepts, conceptual things. So when people say I'm adverse to selling, I'm like, you do it every day. You, you do it in conversation every day. So first grasp that. Um, and th this is, I'm getting to how I get PTs mm -hmm. to actually market effectively. I have to first handle their consideration, their mental consideration about it before I put the tools in their hands, right? So I'm always talking about their mental attitude. And so the second thing I say is, do you equate marketing with sales? Do you think that's the, and if they say, yeah, it's the same thing. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Let's talk about this differently. I'm not trying to sell my patient anything. I'm not trying to sell anything. All I'm trying to do is be the source of help. I am trying to exchange my skill set with them in a manner that benefits them. And of course, they have to pay for the time to get that, but that's not my business. I always say there's two things a PT should never touch. Never touch the money and never touch the schedule. Somebody else has to handle that schedule and somebody else has to handle that money because then you do look like a salesman. When I go into a PT clinic and I see a whole store in that waiting room, I'm like, what am I in a chiropractor office? What are you selling? Pillows and braces and cushions and vitamins and orthotics. You know, chiropractors do that, right? PTs don't have to sell anything. But what you do have to do, and you have to do it very effectively, is you have to make your good deeds well known. And that's the definition of public relations. So when I think of marketing, I think of it as it's my responsibility to make my good deeds well known with my patient. Because JT, whether uh, you're in California, New York, or Maine, doesn't matter where you are in the country, 60% of your new patient business walking in your front door should be coming from return business. Return business means a patient who's been here before, a friend, a family member, or a doctor who's connected to the patient who's been here before. 
because you treated that patient so well, they couldn't stop raving about you and their experience there. And now you get people coming in. So that's marketing. See, I'm providing the services of physical therapy at such a high level that my patients just can't help but tell everybody about it. And they are wearing my jersey and those pay new patients are coming in because of that. That's how we won practice. Of the year. I mean, we were doing 850 visits a week. I had 18 therapists working for me. I mean, it was bonanzas and we never saw more than two patients an hour ever. Did we see more than two patients an hour? So marketing is making good deeds well known. Now, there's, don't get me wrong, there's two kinds of marketing now. There's hunting and farming. Hunting is, I'm going to go out to the doctor's office, we're going to have a big lunch, and I'm going to provide a seminar on ergonomics and good back safety or good, you know, workstation. Or, and they're going to be so blown away with my knowledge in this area and how I've just helped them reduce their workers' comp claims. They're going to send me business because they're just so appreciative of the display of educational knowledge and my willingness to give it. To That's hunting. I'm expecting a return on that effort. Farming is social media, right? I, I'm putting out social media uh, help flows and, you know, best diets and best sleep aids and best this and best that for PT. And I'm just hoping people are like, wow, you're everywhere. You're always giving to the community. I got to try you out. I got to come in your place, see what that's all about. I think that's one thing we do really well at Med. We have our fingers into everything because we built, we're more, our main focus is building a community where we can all learn from each other. Yeah, no, I, I liked, I really like the aspect that you said that 60% of your patients should be from like that returning patient. I, I almost like in my mind, I, I've labeled them like a golden patient. Like those are the ones that are going to constantly be giving you that kind of like revitalizing everything, providing that constant flow into your clinic. And you're right. Like if you're providing, if you're doing so well, they're going to want to share that with them, their friends. Whenever, whenever you have success, you're not going to just keep that bottled up. Like that's not how I think we are as humans. Like if we're having success, we want to share that with others. And obviously with PT, people are typically going from a, a prior level of life where they want to get back to. And if they're able to get back to that and even get better than that, they're super happy. And they want to share those things because it's such a big success in their life that's going on. So I really loved that key point that you shared. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And if you're my therapist, as an example, and I've been treated 12 sessions with you because I had a herniated disc, let's say, and now I'm walking, running, jumping, and I'm feeling so great. And I'm like, man, today's my discharge day. You're going to say to me, you're going to say, so Brian, I am so glad you met your long-term goals and you've got your long-term home program. Don't deviate from that. Please keep your rest in, your sleep in, your nutrition in. Keep doing these exercises on this progressive report I've given you. If anything should go sideways at all, I'm a phone call away. You don't have to make an appointment. Just call the office. Get me on the phone. I'm here for you and the patient. And I'm going to say, man, thank you so much, JT. I really appreciate that. And you're like, yeah, we are not severing our relationship because you're no longer an active patient. We will always have this client, you know, professional relationship. So with that said, Brian, you know, you would say to me as a therapist, you say, with that said, if there's anyone else in your life that suffers any other kind of orthopedic or, you know, musculoskeletal issue, please pass my name and number along. I went to PT school for two main objectives and two main reasons only. I don't know any other PT who's gone to PT school for anything else other than these two things. Number one, I want to help people to the best of my ability achieve optimum health as a result of my care. Number one. Number two, I want to help as many people as I possibly can lay my hands on throughout my career. So as, so the more people I can help and the better I can help them, those are the only two reasons why anybody would go to PT school. In my mind, I can't imagine any other reason. So 
Why would you ask your patient that? Why would you like say that to them on their way out the door? Please, if you think I've done so good by you, and if you have loved ones who are suffering, please think of sending them my way. I would love to help them too. Yeah, no, I, I think it's spot on. And thank you for giving us like, the, like a, a set example of things that we can think about and things that we can talk about with our patients upon discharge. So thank you for giving very practical advice right there. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Uh, You're welcome. And then I have another question. Um, honestly, like time's flown by pretty quick already. Um, yeah. But are there any other words of wisdom or advice that you would give to an aspiring entrepreneur in our profession? Well, here's some words, some words of wisdom. Um, I would read two books. There's two books I think everybody should get their hands on. And it's The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. And it's The Go-Giver by John David Mann and Bob Berg and John David Mann. I think that should be mandatory reading. So that, that's, that's one bit of advice. Um, number two, uh, I, and I kind of talked about this early, I wish I learned how to outsource to experts more than, not, than I actually did. Uh, number three, different means better. It's a funny thing, but it's human nature. Why am I spending $3,000 to have a MacBook Pro when I could go to Office Depot and get a perfectly fine laptop for 800 bucks because Mac is different. Mac functions different. People intrinsically equate different with better. I wish I learned that earlier. I wish I understood that that was the reason for my earlier success was we differentiated. And now here we are as Meg, as far as I know, we're the only virtual training coaching platform in America for physical therapists. And again, we're different again. And I'll, I'll just leave you with this last statement because people ask me all the time about success. I think success has much more to do with who you are and what you believe in and how committed you are to those values than anything you do. Doing this is a reflection of who you are, your personal integrity, and your commitment to those values. So if you see people doing criminal behavior, well, they probably have criminal values and integrity. So people ask me about success and I say it really starts there. So I hope your listeners enjoy that and, and they can define that for themselves, I hope. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Brian. Like, honestly, I, I really love being able to talk to you and, and interact with you and get all this information and knowledge. And honestly, I wanted to be able to share your information. If someone wants to be able to reach out to you and talk more, um, and you, could you also highlight your podcast and the different content that you provide and different ways that people can reach out to you? Would you be able to share that with everybody? Absolutely, please. The best place to connect with us and, and speak with myself, our chief operating officer, or our CEO, Denise, or my CEO, Nicole, is go to our website. You know, literally go to our website, www.megbusiness.com. Megbusiness.com. There's a form fill. Just put your name. We're not going to spam you. That's not our thing. But we can do a practice assessment call with you. We can interview you based on how you want to start up your practice. We'll give you advice on what to do first, second, third, so you can start your practice in the lowest possible budget with the greatest degree of success. Um, you can always reach me. My assistant, her name is Jen. She takes all of my incoming stuff and she makes my schedule and handles my calendar. Her name is Jen. It's J-E-N-N at megbusiness.com. You can email her anytime, student, out of school, not out of school. If you just need to have a little consultation about wrapping your heads around where you want to go, I'm happy to talk to you. I hope I can come to your school and lecture. I've lectured at so many schools and so many state conventions. If there's any way I could be of help there, please contact us. I'd love to come to your school and do a live presentation. Perfect. Yeah, I'll, no, I'll definitely. I talked to my my professors back in my program, but yeah, honestly, like I feel like you have such great information for all of us out there that really want to like, become entrepreneurs and 
and give us those practical tips and advice. And so thank you for that. Honestly, I, I remember like you talking about the go giver and I've like actually used it in like my conversations, but I haven't read it. And so I need to like read it to truly understand it and use it more. Cause like, I like the concept of it, but I need to really understand it for myself and read it. So thank you again for reminding me on that as well. And you can get it on audible too. I mean, it's a great mm-hmm. listen. I mean, it's a great story and it's just, it's so pertinent in my podcast, of course. I mean, our mm-hmm. podcast and YouTube channel are huge. You can go to our podcast, you know, it's physical therapy, uh, secrets of the top 10%, you know, physical therapy, private practice, secrets of the top 10%, Brian Gallagher. It's on every platform and our YouTube channel. So any way I can help you just <laughs> access it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much again, Brian. I really appreciate it. Everyone. I hope you take the time to make sure to listen to this and even listen to it again, just to get all of those golden nuggets that Brian's able to share with us and, and highlights with us on this podcast interview. Thank you again, Brian. No, you're welcome. You're doing a great job, JT. Keep it up. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. Take care, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast. I hope you liked that episode. If you did, make sure to subscribe and also leave a review. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time.